Hi, I'm Susie Wilson, and this is my podcast, Radical Consciousness and Cleansing, a mystical sojourn through the ancient healing of cleansing from then till now. This podcast is going to take us on a journey of our mind, our body, and our spirit, delving into the depths of what does it mean to cleanse, how we reclaim our health physically, spiritually, and emotionally, so that we can live life to our fullest. Hello listeners, good morning, good afternoon and good evening depending on where you are in the world. I am so excited today. I have the beautiful Veda Austin with me who bases herself out of New Zealand, who has been called the Water Whisperer, who has an amazing relationship with one of the most amazing elements if you like if you can pick out an element of our elements of healing of Mother Earth and talks with um Um, water and not only communicates with water but shares this knowledge to anyone who feels like they would like to get on board and to understand their relationship with water and the water's relationship with us as a human species. Gives me goosebumps even as I sit here talking about it. I've got goosebumps all over, over my body so I feel like we have got a lot of people around us supporting this conversation this morning Um, and the water spirits are here. Um, and everyone else. So it's just so beautiful. And we will put information um, along with all the notes to get in contact with Veda, and there'll be some things that she will share if you're watching this visually. So welcome, everyone. And Veda, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, It's so lovely to have you on here today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. We've just been having a little discussion before we come on here, working out what to talk about. We get we get uh, into a conversation. It's like, oh, this needs to be recorded. This needs to be recorded. So I guess it's always good when we're coming on. And as we said, just we start from the beginning. So for those of you that don't know Veda, just maybe, you know, where where did your relationship start with water and, and how would you like to bring us in there? Sure. I'll start with just letting people know a little bit about me and what I do now. And then I'd love to talk about how I began and how this kind of this journey began. Uh, so essentially, um, I specialize in an area of freezing water that's called crystallography. Mm-hmm. So I freeze water at the stage between liquid and solid. And I use a modality whereby I inspire the water in some way prior to freezing, freeze it, uh, take it out of the freezer and take photographs on my iPhone. Um, Anybody can do this technique, but what I've seen uh, in the over 37,000 photos of water responding in a very intelligent way is that water can design in three ways. So you talked about me communicating with water. We actually communicate with water, all of us, every day. We're all bodies of water. By molecular count, not by volume, we're 99% water. We Mm. see the entire world through the lens of water. Your eye lenses is 99% water. These are facts. That's not woo-woo. So communicating with water might sound a little out there, but in fact, we're doing it all the time. Mm. So when we then talk about communicating with water outside of a body, then people might go, what the heck is that all about? But actually, um, you can't you you can't kind of not research you can't research water without seeing that there is some very interesting anomalous things that happen some things we just can't explain 
Mm. Water is like the rebel element. It, it defies the laws of physics and gravity. It expands when it cools. It can climb up trees. It can do things that just don't make sense. Yeah. But it can do a lot more than that too. So what I've discovered is that water can, if you want to use the word communicate, it, for me that is the right word, uh, in ways in which um, where the ice forms into formative uh, kind of picture language. So I've discovered that water communicates in three different types of ways when you're using this specific freezing technique, which um, which I can talk about later. Mm. Uh, the first way I, I would say would be um, the signature patterns. So each different type of water has a signature pattern. For example, tap water is very disordered. Um, spring water tends to form these things that I call star hexagons. It looks like a star with ferns off each leg in the form of a hexagon. Uh, rain water forms a fanning pattern with a slight curve. Uh, filtered water tends to form these lines that are compacted together. So they're very distinctive. Mm. Then I would say that the second way is um, through an artistic um, design relative to the influence. Mm. Uh, so I always say that art is the heart of water. So I'm not just talking about images. Um, say I use this tuning fork, for example, uh, which has a very specific shape and I put it um, on top of my Petri dish of water for 30 seconds or something, removed it and froze it. Um, it's very likely, but you can never assume anything with water, uh, that it would form some shape that looks like yeah. this, yeah. Um, but it might not. It might actually start trying to design some of the letters. Water can actually um, communicate in ways which share this kind of um, acknowledgement of what it's seeing, or if you will say seeing, absorbing, I think is more real. Uh, and then the third way is something called a hydroglyphs, of which mm -hmm. are essentially ice symbols um, that I have get more scientific attention about because they're repeatable. And to say I have one hydroglyph, I have to have seen the same symbol appear using the same word influence at least 50 times. And we can get more into that later. I have 36. Okay. It's taken me nearly five years to get wow. that many. Because that's the language, um, right? That's the language that you are deciphering basically, like the Egyptian yeah, language. Yeah. Yeah, it has it has crossovers with hieroglyphs and that it is a visual conceptual um, language that was designed to be seen and felt yeah. as opposed to spoken. Yes. Uh, so what we're really seeing is a 3D emotional language, which is kind of a big deal. And it's it's huge. And uh, I have a small team of people around the world helping me to um, find the layers of meaning. So each uh, symbol has various layers of meaning, which all interrelate to each other. Uh, and when you see these symbols together, uh, you can start to see there is really quite an exceptional uh, kind of conceptual picture that's painted. So when I asked water, even that might sound a little crazy to people. What are you doing asking water stuff? Not in my world. Um, in my world. 
the the beautiful thing I think about what I do is that I'm not limited to what I can do. You're only limited by your imagination. And I always just say, give it a try. You never know what's going to happen. Um, so I, I asked water, you know, what is a hydroglyph? And it responded in hydroglyphs. It, it gave me the living glyph and it gave me um, the message glyph. So it is a living message. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important, like very, very um, potent uh, two words, living message put together, there is a symbol. And it's very, it's very, very interesting when you start to see responses rather than reactions. Yes. I think most people at best, at best, could think, oh, water might just react to consciousness. But if it's responding, that's more of a choice. So like, what does that mean? Yeah. And I think oh, that that's a very very interesting um, thing, but I'll bring it all the way back. We've gone right to like what I'm doing now. Where am I doing it then? <laughs> yeah. Right back to when I knew nothing about any of this. Um, when, um, oh gosh, it was over 20 years ago now, I was in a horrendous car accident. We went under a seven-ton truck, rolled twice. The driver was died instantly. He was decapitated. It was one of the worst accidents wow. in New Zealand where someone's and I was the passenger. And so over the course of um, these years, um, I had eight surgeries. And uh, because the, the seatbelt had crushed my internal organs, shattered my um, my collarbone, but crushed all my insides and, and uh, left scar tissue on my small bowel, that scar tissue grew for the year after my car accident, I, I essentially kept getting worse and worse and worse in the sense that when I try and eat food, I would have such cramping pain that I would just be vomiting for hours oh, wow. and then I would end up in hospital <clears throat> so many times because I was in so much pain. Um, after having children, it was literally, without a shadow of a doubt, kind of like being in labor every day. Yeah. And so... Uh, and that kept just getting worse until a point where I actually couldn't eat food. And so I was on a liquid diet. And eventually after that year, I saw a bowel specialist. He was just shaking his head. Like he didn't know how I could have done it for a year. So uh, I had bowel surgery and they cut out a huge amount of, um, well, the bowel is so huge, as you know. So <laughs> it sounds like a huge amount, but quite a lot. It's, it's sort of about that much of my bowel. So that, actually small intest that was your small intestine, right? Yeah. Yeah, wow. And, and so where, and where he cut it, uh, the, even the scar tissue around the cut, around where they sewed it together, started to grow. Yeah. And so... Wow. I ended up having over the period a period of time, I think three surgeries for bowel surgery. The last one they put a stent in my bowel, which helped tremendously. Yeah. Um, and I haven't had any problems, touch wood, thank God, since yeah. then. And my mother was very superstitious, so so it's just sort of like great <laughs> in me sometimes. But um, anyway, so on that last surgery, that was my last surgery. I've had eight surgeries. I've also had stage four endometriosis and I had um, operations for that. So, you know, my body's been through a lot. Yeah. I've always been very healthy. I've been vegetarian since I was eight. I'm not a drinker, not a smoker, not a, you know, I don't dabble in drugs or any of these things. And so I was really surprised when I went in for bowel surgery, woke up and this doctor was standing beside me saying, well, you didn't, you didn't recover very well. 
and you have showers of blood clots in your lungs. I'm like, what? I went in for bowel surgery and now I've got showers of blood clots in my lungs? What's going on? Mm. And he said, no, you need to be on warfarin or you're going to die. In Chinese medicine, the bowel and the lungs are sister organs, so just making that connection. Yeah. Actually, nobody's told me that, so that makes me even more sense to me now. Yeah. So uh, that was interesting. So anyway, they um, they really kind of pushed me in that direction. So uh, for around three or four months, I took warfarin. Wow. And I was young, you know, early 20s. And so I was, you know, uh, going in to get my um, – to get – uh, all of this kind of procedure done and, and I mean, not procedure, but going in to get the warfarin oh, and doing all of that. Stuff, I think yeah. you have tests and it's yeah. always, so I was sitting in a room. Oh. I was the youngest person there. I was always bruised. It was just horrible. Yeah. And I just felt, what's going on? You know, why did yeah. my body do this? Yeah. And, uh, and so after a while, um, I kind of had the x-rays, my blood clots had gone, and the guy was saying, the surgeon was like, well, we don't really understand why this happened to you, but we think you maybe just keep taking the warfarin anyway to be safe. And I just decided, and I believe people should be able to make informed choices for themselves, yeah. but I made a decision that my body could, there was no more clots, and I was just going to take care of my body, and I was going to do everything I could to make my body as healthy as possible. Yeah. Understanding that by doing that, you also need to work on emotional issues, you know, all of the threefold of things like the the emotional, the physical, the spiritual. And so I was determined that I was going to find natural ways to heal. Yeah. And, and so uh, whilst in this kind of process um, of looking for the right modalities for myself, uh, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a Ayurvedic doctor, but he's also a medical doctor. And he said off the record, he said, well, why don't you find a natural um, alkaline water, emphasis on natural, and um, this might be a way to help stabilize your um, your body. And so I was like, wow, okay, well, just drinking water, that's that's easy yeah, enough. And saying that. Yeah, that's great uh-huh. that you even just saw water. Yep. And uh, even New Zealand, like our rainwater, especially back then, was around 7.3. So even anything over a 7 is alkaline and pH, which stands for potential of hydrogen or power of hydrogen. So so I thought, oh, well, okay. So I started trying, you know, different alkaline waters. I gave myself two-week trials. I actually really trialed myself. Yeah, wow. So I put myself in two-week trials. I did nothing different in my in my skincare, in my diet, or any of these kinds of things. I'm like, nope, I'm going to see what happens. And so um, I just basically trialed different waters that had different pHs. And I kind of felt hydrated, but I didn't notice anything. And I'm like, well, I don't even know if I'm going to see anything anyway, because so much of what's happening within us, we're, we don't know. We Only by our energy or by what's going on do we have the sense. Yeah. And so I also had a wellness center at by the stage. And um, I, I had a, a client come to me and she said, you know, I, I know this man old guy he's he's giving his water to cancer patients only and he um has this water the spring water straight out of the ground it's ph is 9.9 and maybe you want to try it i'll make an introduction 
So I went, saw him, I told him my story. He gave me a month's worth of this water to try. And I was kind of excited because it was something new and there were lots of people saying good things about it. And so I started to drink it. And the, it, it was, a I don't know if you can imagine this, but it, the water felt slightly thicker mm-hmm. um, and it was it had a sweetness about it. So there was already a noticeable difference in the way in which it felt and tasted. Three days into drinking the water, and I wasn't drinking heaps of it either. What I was doing was drinking a, a, a liter in the morning before food, yeah, about an hour before food, and a liter in the evening after dinner, but about an hour before bed. Yeah, and that's all I was doing with. I was treating it as a medicine. Yeah, and so, um, so I, I was doing a day three. I noticed a really big change I wasn't expecting. And that change was in something that I know you're very familiar with, which is around <laughs> bowel motions. Yes. But after having so much uh, bowel surgery, I mean, having some seriously good bowel motions <laughs> was, was something I was wanting to celebrate. It's always um, underrated. It's always underrated oh, to poo. Like oh people don't understand if you can't poo, like they don't understand. Yeah. No, but when you can't poo, I think, I think, and when you're constipated, you really do feel it. You know, yes. you really feel horrible. Yes. Um, but so many people, uh, anyway, yes. so, um, so I'm like, okay, I had this really noticeable change, but it, it's sadly something that a lot of us don't want to talk about to anyone. Uh-huh. No, so I think nobody wants to know what I'm doing in the toilet, but um. But actually, you know, if you're sitting on the toilet for an hour trying to push out a pebble, yes, and it usually is some indicator that you are quite dehydrated. 100%. And so, and and it's more about water quality than it is about quantity as well. And so it, yeah. you find that there is, you know, anyway, we'll, we'll carry on and you'll kind of understand why I mean that. Yeah. Uh, as I continued on with this journey, I'm like, okay, well, things are moving in the right direction. And then on day, uh, between day 10 and 12, something remarkable happened, which really made me think, wow, there's something here that's really different. I noticed that there were all these bumps coming up on my arm and jaw that were really painful. And I'm like, I knew my body was like purging but I didn't know what was coming out. And I was like almost scared to know, but it was like this like um, sharp, it felt sharp in my arm. And so I ended up getting some tweezers and I was poking around. I pulled something out of my arm and I looked, I'm like, oh my God, it was this little shard of green glass. Wow. Between day 10 and 12, I pulled 27 pieces of wow. glass out of my arm and jaw. What's amazing, they were green, right? And why were they green? Well, it was because years and years and years prior in that car accident, the man who died, he had a nightclub and in the back of the car were crates of Steinlager beer. When we rolled, I must have gone like this. And so this side of my body, when we rolled, got most a lot of that green glass. The other side got more of the windscreen. And so... I'm like going, this has been in my body for how like is that? 20 years. And I'm like, how is that possible? How is it possible? How, how is, is it possible? possible? So, so I went on this mission to figure out like how it was possible. 
during that time as well, I had, like as you mentioned, I had a wellness center. So I gave this water to people that had various different kind of states of health, very, very healthy people. And also people with a lot of very serious issues uh, and a lot of in between as well. Yeah. So the people that drank it, doing it the way I said. So if you're drinking a really alkaline water, it's important not to have it with food. Exactly. Imagine you're eating, you're meant to be creating acid in the stomach and it's meant to help digest the food mm-hmm. and all of these things. Or eat, having a really alkaline water with your food just doesn't make any sense. It's counterproductive. Mm-hmm. So always at least an hour before food. So they, these people used this protocol. Um, so I had um, people who were running marathons and really, really fit um, and athletes who were just looking for that incremental edge And it really gave that to them all the way down to someone who had had um, four, four, like stage four cancer was wanting to see if he wanted to do a water fast, basically, to see um, if he could help himself before going down the chemo track. Yeah. And so he had prepared himself mentally, like in all these different ways, emotionally for a very long fast, 27 day fast. Yeah. And, um, we have a, you had a mutual friend who I gave the water to him and he gave the water to this man. Yeah. And so this man only drank this water for, for that time and went halfway through the fast to the doctor and they did some tests and they saw that the tumor had reduced by half. Mm. And they said, yeah, just because it's reduced by half doesn't mean it's not there. You still need chemo. You know, you need this. But this guy's going, well, actually, that's a big deal. Things are improving. Like, what do you yeah. mean? Yeah. And so he kept doing the fast. And they were worried about him doing the fast as well. But, yeah. again, people are able to make their own choices. And um, I'm not ever going, you should do this or you should do that. Oh. I'm really relaying what people chose for themselves, including yeah. myself. So what uh, he did was continue on, and then two weeks after that fast, they went and he went in to do some tests before they started doing the chemo and whatever. They couldn't find any trace of cancer. He did his emotional work too. Yes, we have to add facts in. He so, really put the in on all levels. Yeah. Um, he's still cancer free. It's amazing. So that was really wonderful. Uh, we also had people whose eyesight improved. Nearly everybody's eyesight improved. One lady had to change the prescription on her glasses because her eyesight improved so much. Uh, fertility issues started to improve. Everybody was pooping better. You know, we noticed all these things and it's like, oh, goodness, okay. People were losing weight that wanted to lose weight. People who were already very slim, they didn't, you know, it basically brought your body into a balance. Yeah, we call it a homeostasis, you know, and, and if we can get our body into that place, it will make magic happen because it has its wisdom to know how to be well, right? So giving your body the space of the hydration and the alkalinity, yeah, that that's like a beautiful magic combination. Well, it certainly worked. And you kind of think about all of these people having having something happen positively so i just looked at it cumulatively yeah. like well people seem to be having some really wonderful results here so what's going on so i i looked at it from um 
several perspectives. And I think to get a well-rounded view, it's important to kind of look at things from um, from a science perspective, from an artistic perspective, and from an um, intuitive perspective. Mm. So like putting all three together. So when I'm talking about art, for me, now it's about crystallography but even back then it was like the body the body is an art mm. it's art right yeah. so you can look at the science of what's going on in within the body but any movement any process anything that has form is also art yeah. and then you look at the intuitive aspect which is through the waters of the body and then the three waters of the body are moving through the art and all of that is a science mm. so you kind of look at it and uh, you kind of go okay what's going on but then when um, I started to look, okay, well, let's look at the analysis of the water. And when you do that, what you're seeing is, okay, it's got this amount of total dissolved solids. It's got this much calcium. It's got this, 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 and the other. It had um, a high bicarb level, which is what was giving it the natural pH, mm-hmm. um, high pH. But outside of that, what you are looking at when you're looking at an analysis is what water's holding, what's in it. Yeah. what it's absorbed, right, on its journey in the yeah. earth. But that doesn't give you anything about what water is. It's telling you what it's holding. So what is water? And so that was something that really started coming up for me. It's like, okay, well, it, it can't, you know, is it is it the water structure? Is it the pH? You know, is it um, the silica levels? What, you know, what is it? Because mm-hmm. we love to be able to know everything but but one of the things I think that I I discovered that was the most powerful was that I've discovered that water has an energetic state of health yeah and so it's actually a very similar thing to um to an emotion by looking through crystallography and using tap water and I hate this word but people know what I mean when I say it using tap water is my control water yeah. What we discover, because I I say that, I'm going to tell you that it's because I don't like the idea of experimenting on water. Yeah. Here's the reason. It's like I am seeing water respond in ways I could have never imagined. This is a relationship. You talk to any indigenous people, ancient people, right? Or read what the ancient people have said. And you see that they have a respect, uh, a relationship with water, where water is considered as a living being or even an ancestor itself. Mm. And so this idea of going into a relationship experimenting um, doesn't feel good to me. So for me personally, I wanted to be able to go, okay, I just I want to invite water to see to to to, to share whatever it wants. Yeah. I like the fact that it's wild. I want to keep it that way. <laughs> and so just bringing it back to that. So when you have tap water and you understand what the signature patterns of tap water look like, and then you um, put that tap water into sorry sorry into say it's okay into say a singing bowl and play it and then freeze that tap water. What you see is there is a change structurally, which is significantly improved, but the, it hasn't chemically changed. So if it hasn't chemically changed, but it's changed structurally from its signature imprint, then what's happened? So what we're really seeing is an energetic state of health of water where it's actually improving emotionally, if you want to use that word. It's hard to know what words to use because this is kind of a, a new territory, right? So, But we ask an energetic state of, of, of health, if you will. 
So it's kind of like water's going, tap water's going, um, God, thank you so much for, for giving me some attention here. I'm going to show you my gratitude in this structural way. And uh, and and it, it's very interesting when you start to see that because um, in the Maori language, there is this word called mori, which means life force energy, of which is very important to all life. And it can it can change. We can have low energy and high energy and, and peaceful energy, all these things. We know what that's like as people to have. Yeah. And we can also see our plants can go through yeah. these energetic states, our animals. It's yeah. a life, a, kind of a yeah. universal thing. Um, and so this life force energy um, is being seen in the crystallography. That's why signature patterns are so important to to get to know. Understand. Because then, if you don't if you don't know them, then you won't know if they've changed. So this is what long term observation of water really has, has given me. Um, so when I started to realize, okay, there is healing going on here, I, I started to also realize that there are healing waters all around the world. Yes. So people always go, where can I get that water that healed you from? Please don't ask me because I can't, I don't have access to it anymore. I'm not, I'm not doing, um, this was a very long time ago, yeah. the man who had that sold the property. I don't have access anymore. I'm sorry. So um, I just... I'm just sharing my story. Yeah. Um, um, over the course of time, I've seen that there are different waters that have healing properties that don't have such a high pH. But one of the interesting things that when you look at the sacred sites um, or sacred waters around the world, like Lord's Water, for example, is yeah. one of them, um, they tend to have a high amount of dissolved hydrogen naturally. Mm -hmm. And it's that dissolved hydrogen which seems to really help people to feel better and heal faster. So yeah, interesting. That's just say there that um, talking about sacred water and water around the world. I was in North Australia, up in the Northern Territory, with some old Aboriginal women. I was just sitting in circle and learning from them. One of the things we had to do every morning, like before the sun come up, is we'd go and actually get the dew off the grass and we would rub it all over ourselves because it was the knowledge and wisdom from our ancients. So that in itself is healing, I also think, as well, right? Well, I mean, you touched on something that's so uh, so underrated. Dew is the sweetest. If you ever drink dew, it's the sweetest water. It is the first water that actually sees the sun. Mm. It it actually it's it's um, considered as the holy as the kind of uh, analogy of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Rudolf Steiner talks about dew in this incredibly profound way. So the the indigenous people truly understand the powers of water and not only the powers of water see we we because we have this meat suit and we don't see the 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 fluidness of our body we yeah. tend to forget that we're bodies of water yeah and when i go into schools or at least prior to the whole last few years um and, and talk to children between like nine and eleven and I say to them, you know, if your skin was invisible and your organs were see-through, what would you look like and how would you recognize your parents? 
what's so interesting is that it always comes back to we are moving tributaries, we're waterfalls, we're streams, we're rivers, we're oceans. One boy said to me he'd look like a brain-shaped cloud with electrical rain falling down in the shape of a human. Oh, wow. 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 <laughs> <laughs> And one one girl, she said, oh, I'd always recognize my mummy because of the way she feels. Oh, so I, I think yeah. when you start imagining and thinking just into really small little ways, yeah, you know, we see how similar we are. I'm very much more interested in, in what makes us, what the things we have in common than the things we have that is different. Yeah. I think you can learn so much that way about our connectedness of nature. Yeah. Um, so when I um, was was kind of looking uh, into these different aspects of water, uh, it led me on this journey looking into the science as well. So I started to look into, and, and I, and I, you know, I, I think we could talk, I could talk a long time about dew as well, but no, I no. want to talk about. Yes, 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 yes. It was just very interesting. Yeah. Very, very important. Oh, and also, I often forget to talk about this, but I think it's special. So you just, I don't always talk about my car accident on podcasts, but a special thing I like to 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 say, because always I think there's got to be something good out of something that's happened to you yeah, traumatically. Well, three doctors told me that I'd never be able to have children because of the amount of scarring um, all around my reproductive organs and because of the endometriosis. Well, I had three children for every doctor that told me I couldn't. <laughs> and uh, and I wasn't, it wasn't just purely out of defiance, obviously. But um, but I kind of te- I I just kind of put on a shelf what they told me. Yes. And I thought, well, my body's gonna do what my body's gonna do. So um important. nobody knows my body better than me. And I think sometimes we are still getting to know our body. You know, we we don't tend to go into that space of really feeling what our body feels like outside of just the, okay, it feels like this, right, this physical thing. But if you go into a bath, you lie in the bath and you let your head back in the bath and you cover your ears, the water will always remind you of that heartbeat. You can hear your heart beating in your ears. Yeah, You can hear that wishing noise it takes you back to when you're in your mother's womb you know it, it you can hear there's this workings going on in there yeah. but we as in the conscious self cannot control the gurglings of our stomach no. for example you know that and that happens at the worst possible times quite often and it's like oh my god and you, no matter how hard we try we can't stop the workings of our body doing what it does that's right so we are we in control of our body maybe there's certain aspects of this intelligent fluid system that are working that the conscious self isn't part of we just it's have quite to, interesting and, and i think sometimes we have to get out of the way like I think that was been my journey and I think that I was in many ways I was put out of the way because I'm such a strong Capricorn brain, but it was like get me out of the way and let my body do the magic that it needs to do, given in the right environment. We always talk you've got to be hydrated and you've got to be cleansed and the emotional work, like we are multidimensional. But if we give that that a moment and a bit of a space, um, the homeostasis does happen and the body can change up those cells and the absorption happen of life you know which is what you're talking about with the water yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. But one of the beautiful, most beautiful things that happened that came out of that car accident, other than it taking me on this wonderful journey with water, was that when my son Rama was nearly three, I was sharing my story about my car accident with someone. I lived in Christchurch at, at the time, and this was actually the day before the big earthquakes that happened. Oh, wow. And so she had come over and we were talking about my accident and my son hadn't heard about it. It wasn't something that I'd sit down and go, well, hun, you know, the, it was, it was just, he was so young, Yeah. but he was hiding behind a, um, it's kind of a, a this area. And uh, he was listening to the conversation as little kids sometimes do. Yeah. And when I had finished talking, he ran over to me and he jumped up on my lap and he said, I remember that mummy. He said, I remember the window wipers and the tires. And I went like this, and I saved you. And when I knew you were okay, I climbed back up the ladder into the clouds. Oh, and wow. I was like, wow. My Thank you so much. <laughs> and and I think sometimes, you know, that, that when, when these, these little things happen out of the mouths of babes, yeah. and it just made me so grateful, so grateful yeah. that, um, that I'm just to be here. Yeah. And to know that, um, that this beautiful little angel, you know, came into my life and my other two angels came too. Yeah. So uh, you just never know what's right. happening on a much bigger picture sometimes when something traumatic happens to you. And it, it's it's hard when you're in the pain, but when you heal and you reflect back and you can see there's blessings in all of it somehow, mm. some way. Yeah. And so um, when I um, started to get curious about what made this water purge this glass out and I started to go, okay, well, yeah, could it be the pH? Well, I've had high pH water before and this never happened. Or could it be, um, you know, there's this different mineral contents? Well, I don't know. I mean, it didn't have the highest silica I'd ever had in my life, you know, in water. So I was trying to pinpoint it. And I, I then kind of looked at Tesla and, and Tesla said, if you want to know the secrets to the universe, study energy, frequency and vibration. And I'm like, well, maybe this is the area I should start to look into. There were various other things I looked into, including the new science of water, which I think is an incredibly important thing for people who want to learn more to look into. I'm talking about the fourth phase of water that Dr. Gerald Pollack talks about. He's a, a friend and mentor of mine as well. Yeah. Um, there is a liquid, solid gas, and then a type of gel or plasma. Our body, when we drink H2O, converts it into H3O2, which is what could be termed as the fourth phase of water. Yeah. Um, it has different properties or qualities about it. So, for example, um, this fourth phase water absorbs more light, which is a really important piece, especially in my freezing technique, which we'll talk about why that's important soon. Also, it has a negative charge. So all healthy cells are negatively charged. Um, it has a different viscosity about it. It's more, if you would, sort of stretchy. And it's, um, God, there's so many different things. I'm trying to think of them all. But essentially, and it and obviously has an extra hydrogen and oxygen um, sorry, Adam. So we, we kind of look at these things and we're going, okay, there's something unique here. And obviously it's well, not obviously to anyone that doesn't know about it, it has, has a more lattice like ordered structure. 
Yeah. So it's it's called a liquid crystal because crystals molecularly um, have a, a specific kind of geometric order, like um like a lattice, mm. a, a kind of like lots of honeycomb on a flat plane, right? And so that is what crisp, the liquid crystal looks like um, in this in, in its molecular structures. So it's very different than water. In certain waters. But what's interesting is that outside of the body, there can be this type of water in water. So when you're looking for uh, this kind of water, they say, oh, I wonder if like the spring water, for example, that one that helped heal me, I wonder if that has fourth phase water in it. So when you are looking for fourth phase water, I've been to the Pollock lab and seen them do this. It's very interesting. They get... <clears throat> a little tube and a little kind of dish of water and then they put something called microspheres into it and that essentially enables you to see any movement in the water wow. and then they put something a nafion tube which is like this little um hydrophilic tube which is kind of very very clear and see-through into the water then they get the microscope and they put the microscope um and they look through the microscope and what they observe if there is fourth phase water is that the um, microspheres in the water begin to move and go through the tube they go through the tube round and round and round self-propelling through this tube then in an angle there's no been no kind of stimuli to start it off so it's a very very curious and interesting thing so what's so and then that's also the battery of your cells this these this type of water now, what's happening is that there is a positive and negative charge. So this fourth phase water, that's this unique type of water, they call it easy water. It means exclusion zone. Jerry jokes about it being easy to remember. <laughs> um, but so, so he he, um, he was saying that what happens is you can see there is um, under the microscope this kind of area here which is um, the EZ, which is negatively charged. It pushes out um, the positive charge. What you've got when you've got a negative and a positive is a battery. And that is exactly what's going on in our cells. That creates this fluid battery, which is interesting because when you look at crystals, even salt is a crystal, and I really want to talk about salt. Yeah. Another area that interests me a lot. But essentially, if salt is a crystal, and crystals store vast amounts of information. We use quartz crystals in our technology to store information. Mm. So then when you have a liquid crystal, it's not limited to the confines of the crystal, the shape only of the crystal. Actually, Mm. you've got this fluid dynamic um, kind of liquid crystal absorbing information, sharing information. Essentially, it's a liquid crystal antenna. So it's a very unique and special. Now, there are some waters that don't have that water in it. Now, when you're beginning to freeze water and as it's beginning to melt, it creates this fourth phase water. So that is why it's very, very important. When you get to know how I do my technique, I I kind of, I started to uh, develop this technique from studying the science of fourth phase water, the stages in between, the Mm -hmm. uh, uh, where these secrets are, the secrets are in the subtleties, the in-between places. Yeah. Many indigenous will understand that. That's right. So, 
So when you start going, okay, there's these in-between stages. When I first ever began this work, um, I was inspired by three people. Because I read about I'd read about this fourth base water and I'd read about it having unique properties and this ability and the potential of information storage. And then of course I saw Emoto's work. Now yeah. Masaro Emoto, um I, I'm sure most of your people will, will know who he was. Um, but he kind of shared pictures very much in contrast. Um he would put uh love or the word love um, into water, take a tiny bit of that, flash freeze it and microscopically take photos. Then he would do the opposite and use the word hate and do the same exact thing and share the contrasting images where positively influenced um, water would create geometries. And if you would say, I don't like all this kind of duality so much, but the, the negatively one negative one would show disorder yeah he was embraced by the scientific community because he openly shared that he chose the best pictures to use however he opened the door for people to see themselves as sensitive bodies of water sensitive thoughts words and environment there have been many other studies by many other scientists that actually support that work but um in a more more scientific way the second person who inspired me his name is laurent costa he's not so well known um as moto but he was using the same kind of setup and technique taking microscopic photos of flash frozen water except his entire ethos was unique in that he believed that water was um, alive and that he did not want to experiment on water. He wanted to simply create an environment where he could be the observer and to see what water would do. He would often smile at the water before he took photos. What's so interesting is that rather than seeing geometries, and when we think of structured water, we conjure up these beautiful Mm. snowflake-like geometries that we've seen of Amoto's work. But what he was seeing outside, he did get those, but he also got happy faces. He got um, fish. He got, uh, yeah, and he got like hearts microscopically they're and they're amazing he wrote a book called journey into the heart of water and um you know his pictures really inspired me because for 15 years i worked as a professional oil painter so i see the world through a very artistic oh, wow. lens. okay and so for me seeing something other than geometries not that i mean geometries make up you know the universe and we're attracted to geometries, but for me, I love art, right? So yeah. it was like, wow, wow, that's really a face. Like I can see that. That's a perfect heart. That's a, That really inspired me. So the third person who made me kind of go, wow, was um, I, I'm a researcher as well. So I'm very good at finding obscure pieces of information that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> and this, this guy... Um, his name was Thomas Hieronymus, and he went into a Parisian meat market one day on a very cold day in, in, um, in, in Paris and noticed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, the frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ above a liver organ and so on and so forth. Wow. And his hypothesis was that there seemed to be some kind of life force energy 
emanating out of these organs, even though they weren't attached to an animal anymore, based on the fact that there was water in the blood. And there is something called sonic signatures, which is a science. And the sonic signature is really kind of a cymatic imprint of each organ. So each organ was resonating at a frequency, mm -hmm. which is impacting the water, essentially, in the blood. And so what he thought was that the sonic signature of kinds um, in, the, in the organ of the liver uh, was still, even though, you know, it's not moving through the organ anymore, we don't know actually, um, to, bring, uh, to bring it back just a tiny bit. It's quite interesting. I, I On my last masterclass, I had Jerry Pollock on as, um, as one of my guests. And he talked about a test one of his students did where they had an egg that was starting to develop an embryo um, you can actually do that. You can take, you can crack an egg and actually grow the chick and see it grow. So it was only three days old and they, um, it's a horrible really, but they, they made the heart stop beating. They were wanting to see if the exclusion zone water would just drop with all the vital signs and just die off. Wow. So it was obviously a drop. But when they put infrared light, because EZ or this exclusion zone water expands with infrared light, yeah. they actually saw it, 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 it took the vital signs that went back up, the EZ oh. went up, and um, and didn't just drop the moment they took the, the um, infrared That's light nice. away. It slowly, slowly started to um, go down. And it took nearly an hour for the water to stop moving. And he said, we may, we may have to think when the time of death really is based so on insane, that. isn't it? Because if I've I've sat with people and supported people as they pass, you know, at, at home, I've been blessed to have that with my family. And you just know that oh, I don't even have really words for it, but it's like you can just see that life and it does take those hours for that life to, to settle, if you like, I guess is maybe a way to, to say that. Yeah. yeah. My, my, I had the experience with my mum too, who passed away. I had a beautiful experience. And I want to come yeah. back around to what I was saying about Hieronymus's observations and what his hypothesis was. But um, my mum was like my best friend. She mm -hmm. was the most amazing woman to me on the whole planet. And we used to write letters to each other um, when I lived in Japan. We would like... Um, their handwritten letters back before, you know, cell phones and emails and stuff. <laughs> at the end of every letter, she would attempt to draw a circle and she would do a little heart in the middle. Mum's circles were really bad. <laughs> when I, she died in 1999. And, um, and so uh, years ago, I, I said to the water, can you connect to my mum? And no one, I mean, I have a stack of letters uh, from her, but nobody's seen them. So it was only me that knew about that. And the water designed a misshapen circle with a heart in the middle, just like my mum um, did. It was. And my mum, she said, you know, she would always be with me even uh, after she transitioned out of this body. Yeah. And I think that water is actually the, uh, fills all the realms. It's a way in which we can communicate on all levels because it's not just in a liquid form. It's a liquid, it's, it's a solid, it's a gas you know, I've spoken to people who have had near-death experiences mm. and, and and three of them say they had the sense of rising 
and then of looking down upon their bodies and going, I hope that person's going to be okay. All three said the same thing. They became the observer. And yeah. I think that actually water and the Maori word for spirit is wairua, meaning two waters, the physical and the spiritual waters. There's more depth to it. I'm giving a very rudimentary explanation. But I think the the, the spiritual water within us outside of the physical one is the observer. It's the one we can observe ourselves, and and this explains the our ability to to come back to our body. For example, people that have their spirit has left the body. Yeah. So we hear through all texts and different religious texts and philosophical texts that the spirit, the subtle body, the soul leaves the body upon death. Well, we we don't know how how, but what's happening. Well, if you study water long enough, you'll observe that water, and this is not a not a no-brainer, that water can become, uh, it can evaporate. And we and are currently so sorry. much water. And, you and as a gas expands. that person, you see the mist leave the person when they actually pass. Like, it is so amazing. And the whole, um, like, when you're talking about the memory and, and that that level of it, it's like when we talk about, and this was a question I wanted to ask you, actually, because I got into colonics originally because I was really interested in cellular memory. And that was like, you know, there's something in this therapy, like you don't need to go to therapy. You can get rid of it all through this this purging way, through colonics. But now after learning all about the water and my journey and even like tapping into your work, it's like, and, and Jared's work, it's like, it's not actually the cell that holds the memory, I don't think. It's actually the water. It's the water that's carrying the memory, and that's what that's what we're sort of talking about, I guess. But, yeah. I think you're, you're spot on, I think. And I also think it's because we're an ocean. We are salt water. We're not distilled water. Yes. And salt also helps the the us to store um, memories and information. So when salt and water are such a wonderful um, combination because you put, you, you know, we might, for example, we we might say water is dead water. If we, we look at um, polluted, we go, oh, that's dead water. But actually it's a label. Water never dies. It's always in one of its stages. Mm. So that water will evaporate. We will see it. We You know, we can see this reincarnation happening before mm. our eyes, almost, uh, uh, you know, all the time. Water is always just in one of its stages. It doesn't die. No. Um, we we use dead water. We I've heard people use that a lot. They slap that label on there, but no, water doesn't die. Salt is a very interesting one too. It's also mm. a shapeshifter like water. You can put salt into water and, oh, it's not, is it there? We can't see it. You can't, and if it's the tiniest amount, you might not even taste it. But you can certainly taste the salt and sea water. So you know, okay, it's water with salt in it, but it's become sole. It's become this another liquid crystal because it's liquid mm -hmm. and it's got crystal in it, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is very interesting when you start thinking about this this the salt, because if you let the water evaporate, there's the salt. Mm -hmm. It didn't either. See it before, yeah. yeah. Oh, and also, even when you cremate somebody, the ashes are salts. Yeah. So we are made of these interesting components. Pardon the pun, you boil it down. Liquid, salt, minerals, and consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, we've got, we've got things here that are what would be termed as immortal. 
So when we when we start looking at our bodies from a slightly different perspectives and you go, okay, where is the memory stored? And, and how can we also help ourselves to heal mm. by leasing? It's not, and, and often I think it's often about forgiveness. It's kind of the, there is emotional curative properties that we have within us. Water, the water within us truly is a medicine. When your deepest sorrow, and I love this, and your deepest sorrow, when you're really grieving or really just letting go and releasing, we, our body is so sophisticated. It creates these beautiful tears and the tears come out of our eyes and our face is shaped in a specific way where our, our eyes, the tears come out of our eye ducts. They roll around our cheeks, but they come back towards our mouth because they have become a medicine for us to help heal our hearts. Mm, We're creating our own medicine. And I think that this is a very important piece. And so with all, I really went off on a tangent about that, but salt, I think, is another also another very interesting way in which we store and hold memories. So this is... This is interesting because when people use the word structured water, which is another very big blanket statement, because people say my water structuring device does this and this based off that and that. Mm. But because we're kind of such visual beings, like, oh, how can you know that? Mm. You know, not everybody's got like um, a spectrometer in their, like on their kitchen table Mm. to be able to kind of, you know, what's the doing over there? So like, how can we know um, and so I think that when we learning this technique is, is one very, very easy way to look at water structures. But but what we're really kind of um, able to kind of do is, is also feel it. You feel a difference and you taste a difference with water that is energized and has these different uh, aspects of light to it. So water is actually mostly photons, mm. which a lot of people. Don't realize it's a, it's mostly light it has a light source mm. an indigenous american indian woman gave me this powerful piece of information and i will get back to thomas Hieronymus in a minute but she said that um she could speak to bees and she mm. said that she would watch their hives for long periods of time and a bee eventually came out and communicated to her and however it did and and explained that they didn't mind her looking at the hive, but please, could she not look at it for such a long time because her conscious expression was putting too much light in the hive and they liked it to be darker. Wow. And I'm like, oh, right. So that makes sense of this. So I had taken photos every now and then at the perfect opportunity, just, just at the right time. As what is just beginning to freeze, and I've looked in the freezer so many times to see this, um, <laughs> It will send out these little shoots from usually from the side of the dish. Every now and then, I'll capture a light coming out of the shoot, like a halo. Wow! I think it's actually light that paves the way for the design of the ice, and so this is a really important piece, right? So we are we are liquid crystal light sources, and conscious expression puts more light into what we are focused on. And so this explains why people can have healing experiences when people are focusing their light um, through whatever modality it is. 
So this was a beautiful little extra piece that I learned. But with Thomas Hieronymus, you know, he was like um, observing these um, these pictures essentially of ice forming, you know, above these organs. He was looking at them with his naked eye. So I'm like, okay, this is something because he's seeing this macroscopically. Yeah. Even Rudolf Steiner suggests to his students, look at the way the frost freeze on the window of a butcher's shop compared to that of a florist's, and you'll see big differences. Yeah, wow. So um, so I'm like, well, okay, I, I want to see if water stores information. I want to see if it has this memory that people keep talking about. You know, I always suggest, I mean, you might read a lot of things, and but if you do it yourself, it's like, yeah. okay, like I get it. It's important to do things for yourself, I think, and become inquiring. So I'm like, well, I have a Petri dish because I was working on another project. And I have some some water. I used the water that healed my body. But I've used every kind of water you can imagine. It's, you know, I always encourage people to use different waters to see what different waters look like. Yeah, yeah. And so um, the only thing I would say is that distilled water doesn't give as much imagery because it lacks those salts. So that was a really interesting piece. It's why when I've done homeopathy and put drops uh-huh. of homeopathic remedies into water, I've used spring water rather than distilled water, which is the opposite often of what they do in science. Yeah. Because I'm like, I want to see how homeopathy works on a more dynamic um, environment. So spring water is in a dynamic environment more similar to the human body than distilled water is. I wanted to see how it would respond, and it responded so much better than in distilled water. So mm. it's a side note. Um, so I got my Petri dish of water, of, of water, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to project a thought into the water, and I'm going to freeze it because the secret seems to be in the freezing, and I'm going to stick in the freezer, and I'm going to just see what happens. And that was like, how it began it was so wow. rudimentary and so I I did that I and so I had my dish and I'm thinking about what I'm going to think about and then I I noticed a bit of fluff like floating around in there so I'm like oh god so I put my hand in to take out the fluff consciously thinking I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the waters yeah. quote unquote because then if it was real so then I shoved it in the freezer with the peas and the broccoli and everything and then I forgot about it and then a few hours later I came back to it held it up to the light and took the first photo that inspired the 37,000 photos that I have, wow. if not more. And it, 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 my Petri dish was the same size of my hand. It was about 10 centimeters and um, in diameter. And um, the image that appeared took up half of the dish. So it was actually macroscopically huge. And I, I can share that with you if you like, so people yeah. can get a gauge of what yeah. I'm so excited about these images. Um, so yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's nice to actually see. So wow. this picture, my very, very first picture of water uh, that had frozen from an influence. So uh, it freaked me out a little because you can see it's like an X-ray. I was just going to say it's like an X-ray. Yeah. Um, so then uh, I thought, well, you know, um, gosh, maybe maybe if I get some seawater, it might show me something relating to the ocean. And so um, I got some seawater, and and uh, I was a little nervous actually to to open the freezer because I thought if there's something in here then that means it's real like maybe there's something to it maybe it's yeah. not random because 
your mind plays stuff on you when you start seeing imagery that looks so realistic. Um, And so the image that I got from that was of a fish with a perfectly round eye and the body and the gills and fins and tail and everything. And it was like, what? And then my freezer became my most used household appliance. And (laughs) I observed that water likes to play with me. It likes to show me, yes, I see what you're showing me, but I also see the things around where you're showing me. I see the things on the table, and it will show things that were relative in um, space to me rather than anything specific I was even focused on. It, It was very, very interesting what I observed, but all of the while for the first year, totally freezing water solid without really knowing any better. Yeah. But as I started to get to more familiar with that fourth phase of water, I started to think I might be missing something here. Like what's happening in the freezer? So I would open it earlier and earlier and earlier. And at about five minutes, I noticed that there was liquid on top and ice underneath. And we'll come back to this share in a second. Yeah. And um, the liquid on the top and ice underneath. I'm like, oh, well, what's going on underneath that water? So I took it out and the water naturally drained away and the crystallography that was on the dish was so outstanding, so clear and crisp. And I realized I'd been really kind of missing out on on the real essence of the formative stage. I call it the stage of creation. So that is how I now take all my photos um, by using this technique. And I teach people how to identify it in their freezer settings and whatever. Um, so as I went along, um, I've got a lot of examples of some of my work here. Now, um, over here, we have every single one has a story. Um, and I'll just share a few of them. But up here, this was from a woman who was pregnant, drank some water, left me some. I froze the water, and you can see the like light outline. It's like a light yeah. outline of the baby. Over here, um, there was a schnauzer dog drinking some water from um, a bowl that this cafe had left out for thirsty dogs. Yeah. And I was that crazy woman that went and asked yeah. for a takeaway cup to take some dog water away. <laughs> I took it away, froze it, and I got this image. It looks like an etching. Um, Over here are some more examples. My children have played with me during this time, doing a lot of different work. My son put a Petri dish of water beside him while he was um, watching uh, Batman and And you can kind of just see that they aren't random. They do look very much like what the influences were. But I played around with boiling water. A lot of people don't know about this about me because I'm like, well, I Water's in all these stages, right? Could water possibly share any imagery whilst in the boiling stage? Surely that would be impossible. But actually, I was hovering over the um, the pan, trying like wiping the steam away and just taking photos. And what's very curious is I used to be a dancer and I was also wearing a long dress similar to what I'm wearing now when I was doing the study, yeah. um, like taking the photos of boiling water. So over here, you know, these are just examples, but um, comparisons, but here is the dress and the arms and here's the skirt and the head. But I had also hurt my back of my neck. And it was interesting because we see the skull with the vertebrae in in the boiling water, right? So how, how is that? It just seems so crazy that boiling water showed any imagery at all, because we would never think that it could unless we actually maybe did it ourselves. 
And there's a lot more to boiling water, but I won't get too far into that because it's another whole story on its own. Another story. Can I share with you, um, just because you're talking about boiling water and seeing images, and you, so what you're about to hear now is extremely weird, extremely weird. Love weird. What I do, what I do, because in the way we have our colonics set up, we have a screen and I have a camera on it so we can actually see what comes away very clearly so we can typically pick up parasites and yeast and all that type of stuff so it's all magnified so we see what's coming away. In the old ways of colonics, you would look in a little tube down there and didn't see much and people were really just worried about the poo, right? So because of my cellular memory work and my interest in cellular memory and that our gut is the house of all of our emotion, is what we would hear about. Um, now I know it's all over the body because we're made of all this water, but I actually do poo readings. So I've actually got pitch, I've got, but it's actually the the shape of the, so you know like you were talking about with our Indigenous people and they talk about the space, that's where the magic happens, that in-between. So it's like the, the fe- if there's any fecal matter or mucus or whatever comes away and the water around it and it tells a story. So I, and the, best one I've got to show obviously we don't do repetitive studies on the same thing because we've got different people coming in different stories but even to the point one time I was talking and I was doing this session with a woman about her ancestry and her question about her aboriginality we I kid you not I've got the pictures that I can even share maybe in this as we go um, when I put it up but of an old aboriginal man with a spear standing on in in the this is in the tube rope so standing with his spear he's got his beard he's sort of looking out and then the next release she had was like a kangaroo literally sitting on what I would call the old was our rocks out near Uluru it was just so I think water water talks to us in so many ways and like to for us to be able to see and because I say to our my clients when I work with them I mean now I get pictures sent to me and people say what can you see in this like what's going on here so it's interesting what you pick up right it's like coffee reading and tea leaf reading but maybe it's not the coffee or the tea leaves that do the reading it's actually the water and the coffee is allowing us to see the tea leaves I don't know but yeah so yeah but I, I love that you do that. Like I've never, I'd never heard of that before. I love <laughs> you probably won't hear about it again. But <laughs> because I think like people go, really, you do that? I said, well, I've actually made galleries. So one of my things that I wanted to do was collate the pictures that I've taken and put them into like frames and we've got like our gallery inside my clinic now in Narang in on the Gold Coast so I can actually share this I mean there was someone else that who was um she was dealing with a breast cancer actually and we were doing because when I do the session with people on the clinic it's in like my way that I do it I guess but she was talking about some of her emotional stuff that she was working through and and some was in fact violence but then what her the next release that come away was actually this big dragon looking back towards her with her mouth like very angry like it was all about anger and we saw that anger in the picture it was so amazing so I just for me, though, it's just a wonderful extra piece where water is like, of course, communicating to us and and through a, a kind of imagery, you know, yeah. and I think that imagery is an important piece. Like, I, I really, water can is the ultimate um, artist. 
So, you know, that you're seeing these things, which really is just incredible. You know, I, um, so this is slightly separate, I'm curious what your, what your, what your take on it is. Uh, I went, th- I've gone through stages of thinking I'm going to do colonics. And the first time I did it, I was actually pretty good and it was a pleasant enough experience. But um, the last, when I'm talking a few years ago now, maybe five or six years ago, there was a lovely uh, lady who was doing them. And, but within, I don't know, not even 10 minutes of being in the room, having the treatment done was I was just, I could not stop vomiting the whole treatment. I was just Uh. vomiting and vomiting. And she was, um, she was a, uh, also an acupuncturist so she was doing uh, pushing pressure points under my nose in this like oh, area God. here over the yeah. lip to try to stop me from feeling so sick but like every time I vomit it was like everything was being pushed out so it was like the fullness of the water in the stomach make me it makes me feel sick it made me feel so nauseated that it was just such a difficult process. It was so, so much more difficult than the very first time that I had it done. And I think that if we think about your small intestine, that it's been reduced and that what you've got going on there. So the way that we do colonics, so I call it the Rogers technique. So we don't actually, the traditional way of doing colonics is people fill up your colon quite full to that feeling that you're talking yeah. about and then they'll typically release it and you'll they'll typically massage to get all that to come away, right? So this is a closest and that's typically how it's done. So what we do, because I believe water's the healer, not us, so when we're actually doing, and people talk about slow fills as well, we do that, but it's actually more the empty fill. So we just put the water in and we want it to sit there. So the session for us is not about doing big fills at all. You get full, but the water's actually in there giving the information and communication that it needs. So we do weird things like, so in our filters, we've got crystals and stuff going into the person. And I've got other ideas about what I want to do now with the light as well. But um, it's about the water that we're actually putting in, but it's also about the intent. But the actual technique itself, and if you're vomiting, it's like I've naturally never had that happen to someone. I have people get nauseous. But I think it's about when your body's in crisis. So there was something there going on energetically that your body just it went into crisis is what I would say. So because that experience of vomiting and um, diarrhea, that's your fight and flight. That's your body saying, get me out of here, get me out of here. So something's going on there, I would suggest. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, um, it wasn't pleasant, but, but I stuck it out. Like, I'm like, I know this is good for me, but it's, it was an interesting thing. Because, but, but I mean, that ends up going on a whole different topic. So we, we maybe you and I can discuss. Yeah, it later, we do that another time. But yes, interesting. But, but water essentially is able to 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 share information and store information on a highly sophisticated um, manner, more than we've ever ever imagined. You know, and, and I don't really think you can study water. Um, without then realizing that it's sharing information about um, us on a much more spiritual level than we might care to admit. I think that, you know, you can't you can't really study the creation without also looking at the creator. And so you look at life, all life forms, and all life forms have water. Yeah. And that is the common commonality 
between all of us because there's certain there's certain species out there that don't have brains there's certain like squid that have no brain but they're like functioning and doing their thing right but yeah. they're also made of water. i recently had and i found this fascinating if you want to look up a man by the name of mauro m-a-u-r-o last name is zapatera he is a harvard um scientist or doctor i can't remember which one um and He's, his area of focus is on the cerebrospinal fluid, oh, yeah. and he is he is outrightly saying that he believes that spinal fluid is the portal to cosmic consciousness. Yeah, and he's saying that that fluid is ninety nine percent water, and that um, we can move that fluid even up through our spine by our breath mm. and by certain modalities, and how it actually. Shit, like it's literally washing our brain at night, cleansing our brain of all of the things that might have been going on. And it moves kind of like the ocean coming up to the beach into the sand and then washing it away and moving and flowing like this. Fascinating what he's actually been sharing about the spinal fluid. You start kind of like going, oh, well, that's interesting. But he's saying, you know, he's really trying to get you to think for yourself, but he's saying, that that these profound experiences that we might have, whether they are visions, whether they are out-of-body experiences, whatever they might be, whatever they're like some kind of like, um, I don't know, whatever, whatever profound experience that you might find through Kundalini, a Kundalini experience, yeah. it all is this incredibly profound water um, within the spine. And he thinks that there, there's a it's interesting because there's a certain Buddhist um, uh, writings and teachings because um, they have a kind of they very much aware of the death process. It's like yeah. dying well, yeah. and so they obtain the, the Buddha consciousness. Uh, one of the ways in which they know that someone has made that attainment is that where the fontanelle has been closed, but where it would have been um, on our top of our head, apparently a little drop of clear fluid will appear on the deceased person's head um, that, to say that they have attained to this. this wow, because of- fluids come up through. Yeah. Wow. So very, very interesting. Um, so, you know, but also, I mean, he goes into some very interesting things around how the, the, the shape of the certain area of the pineal gland and the pituitary gland and all the different glands around and how the the shape of it, when you look at it, it actually looks like a bird. So it's kind of very much like the eye of Horus. It actually takes the shape of the eye of Horus. And then we had the people from magical Egypt kind of like showing how the ancient people, not only did they understand the anatomy and the shape and form of the brain, but also for its functions, which seems Mm -hmm. unbelievable since uh, so many people in archaeology might say that they really were, you know, illiterate or they, they were savages and they just kind of, and that's just bollocks if you ask me. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it's absolutely fascinating what we can learn from water. But for me, I think some of the most profound things um, has been not only about this water being able to communicate in these symbols, so there's a symbolic language, like I've talked about, this guy yeah. called hydroglyphs. Yeah. Um, and when you start, I feel like with, with that work, there's a show called Arrival that you may or may not have seen. 
essentially. It's it's a movie. And someone told me I needed to watch it after hearing me talk about hydroglyphs. And they said it's like these aliens come down in these pods around the world and inside the the pod they're like these kind of like squid things and they squirt out this ink and the ink forms into like a, a, a circle with various things that come off the circle. And this woman goes in and she has to try and figure out the language, their language uh, based on symbols. Uh. And I feel like that woman because yeah. this is so new. But I always think that the future is ancient. Yes. So what there is just a remembering to happen. Yeah. And uh, I'm working towards right now uh, my next masterclass in just over two weeks or just under two weeks and really looking into Antarctica and looking into like the ancient lost and sunken civilizations and what evidence there is and all this kind of stuff. And years ago I had this dream before I entered any of this work that I was walking through a tunnel, a carved out tunnel of ice in Antarctica and there were these symbols in the um oh, in wow. this shiny it was like ice but it was super shiny and like marble almost and these symbols were in there and and some of them just from my memory really remind me of these hydroglyphs that i'm seeing in water which is why i bring it to like perhaps the future so you were so you were so you were set up for this work a long time before you even got there which is how it happens isn't it I think that's (laughs) and your master classes um that you said starting in two weeks I'm signed up for that and I so panicked you got messages from me a couple of weeks just go oh I don't have the passcode to get on because I was coming back from being away because I move around a bit and um got my dates completely confused so I was happy about that but yeah I can't wait for that master class and if people want that and we'll leave your details because I'm just aware of your time um but we'll leave your details and everything uh on these notes but if you just wanted to share a little bit about you know like because I think you've got four master classes coming up this year and also you've got um people can go onto your website and you know pay like near nothing to download your pdfs to know how to freeze your water and that type of stuff yeah the nice thing I am going to um, to, to also share uh, is that um, for people that really genuinely are, ha- are having a really rough time and they're not able to afford it, my 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 um, CMP it stands for Collective Molecular Photography. It is the name of what I call what I do uh, because the water molecules appear to be kind of working as a collective to design. So that's why yeah. I called it that. For anyone that can't afford it, if you go to checkout and you put in the word blessing, it'll be free. So um, I've just left it as that. I did it for a Christmas thing. I've just left it on. Um, so so I just think it's really important that people, if they're excited enough to, to want to do this, then they shouldn't be limited by financials. Um, I also do my beginners workshops. So that's where I have a group of 21 people. That's They're, they're small, so I can actually speak to everybody. And we all um, do it like I in our kitchens. And we show, they show me their um, their crystallography and I go over, okay, is this a signature pattern? It's really clear when it's art or is this a hydroglyph? So everybody gets a really good idea of exactly how to do the technique, um, how it all works, what it looks like. And um, I, we go over the hydroglyphs as well so that they go, okay, I see that. So when you have groups like that and we see commonalities, you're like, okay, Right, I understand what she means. It it makes sense. 
And then the this MasterCard, each one is totally different. This is different than any I've ever done. Um, in the past, I've shared all my studies on water. This time I'm sharing about me. I'm also sharing about studies I've done on water, but, I, but more so about how water's responded to uh, words like Lemuria, like Atlantis, like Bermuda Triangle. Um, my grandmother on my mother's side, her name was River Bentham Green. She um, she had remarried, which was quite surprising back then. Mm. And uh, my mother at the time was just about to turn eight years old. And um, and so they went on this, this. They were from the UK. They went over to the um, to uh, I can't remember to Bermuda, I think. Um, they were going to Barbados, and on the plane, they were on a, a plane called the Star Ariel. And it disappeared over the Bermuda Triangle. And um, my mum was told on her birthday, on her eighth birthday, that her mother had disappeared. <gasps> and so for me, it was like very, I used to imagine my grandmother like in this kind of Atlantis, like I used to imagine Atlantis as a little yeah. girl. I used to imagine she just kind of gone there. And I had this image <laughs> of like what that was like, although he obviously never met her. So I have a connection with her. So I uh, there's a, a news article about it from 1949 and I show what water showed when I put wow. the uh, um but we're diving really deep into those those areas which interested but pyramids too like I worked within a pyramid structure in my um wellness center it could fit eight people uh it was made by a guy up north who makes precision pyramids and I share about the remarkable things that happened in there and also how that also got me into water outside of what other people had shared about you know the stories about the water and their healings but water actually when you put it into a um, and this is just a little extra that you'll see in there in more detail. But I used to, I got um, two glasses of water poured from the same tap from the house. Now, the, the wellness center was right beside my house. So I'd leave one glass of water in the house and then went into the wellness center, put it halfway in the, in the middle of the pyramid on a little stool. And um, I had taken the dissolved oxygen reading of the water in the house before I put it in the pyramid, which was four parts out of 12 parts per million. When I um, went after an hour of it being in the pyramid structure, not only could you see all these bubbles starting to form, but the reading was up to 11 parts out wow. of 12 parts. It had upped that level of dissolved oxygen to such a high level. That was in, a in this wow. uh, Properly aligned to True North because it was a... Um, it was a wooden pyramid, so you have to align it magnetic north um, to uh, with metal pyramids. But but anyway, yeah, it was wow. remarkable. And you put water in there, turn the cap, and it go. It was like it was carbonated if you left it overnight. No compasses after a year of it being there could be and work in the same. They didn't work. You had to walk all the way up to the school to get a compass reading. Wow. It was really, really amazing. So I share some of the stories in there. I've got um, archaeologist Tim Moon coming on talking about his experiences with the Bosnian pyramid. I've got quantum physicist, young guy, genius coming on talking about zero-point energy, crafts, propulsion, the secret science, um, sciences. 
or the hidden science of, uh, sciences. Um, Elizabeth B. Jenkins, who wrote a book called um, Return of the Inca, talking about her journey to Peru. Um, and we've got Kalani Suzo, who's my brother from another mother, from Hawaii, a Hawaiian elder, um, talking about the legends uh, of the Pacific. And we'll also be sharing about the legends in New Zealand um, and of the little people and the giants and the skeletal remains that have been found mm -hmm. and how water is responding to all of these, why water kind of brings all of the answers together yeah. and where the memory really is. But touching on things that people find really fascinating um, and all about uh, how water's also responded to certain images, uh, certain um, uh, extraterrestrial images, shall we say, and how many extraterrestrial images have been recorded in our history through cave paintings, through art, through hier hieroglyphs, all of these different things. So it's really bringing a huge area, plus sharing about my own personal near-death experience, sharing about um, basically when I when I drowned and what I saw and what happened to me um, and things that people have never heard because I wrote them. So people and I've never shared it. I wrote a book that I've never published and wow. there's quotes coming out of there about Antarctica, um, Atlantis as an atomic clock, all kinds of stuff. So anyone that wants to thinks that, you know, you're kind of fascinated but wants to learn something new, um, that would be the one because <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to do it again this year because it's like it's just a, a one-off and it's a very vulnerable thing for me to share about mm -hmm. some things that are a little bit different and out there because I want to stay the steady path of um, not being too woo <laughs> being too scientific, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting though, isn't it? I think that I think that's where we're up to in our world, though. Like, we know that there's more, and now we want to try and we do want to try and grasp, but people are searching. Science doesn't answer all the questions, and it hasn't answered all the questions, and and nor should it. And then we've got quantum coming in and answering the questions maybe that science can't answer um, and looking into what did Albert Einstein talk about, his spooky theory or something like that, the stuff that he couldn't answer because it's around energy. And I guess when we're coming back and we're looking at what we're made up underneath this vehicle, this this skin suit, as you say, you know, water and light and salt, like that's that to me is what we're made of, and it's an energy conductor. It's amazing. I think it's amazing. Well, I think, and you know, you talk about Einstein. He said that spirit, um, science without spirituality is lame. Yeah. His word, his yeah. So you know. <laughs> and, and do you know what I really love too is that there's actually a lot of women coming up now to actually talk about this and just not going into anything now in detail, but just in the last few years with the changes that were happening and it's, you know, women are the creators. We are the holders of the water. We do, you know, that is a feminine energy if you want to talk about it like that in, in my world anyway. Water might think I'm wrong with that. <laughs> just thought about that. I could hear it going, well, is it? But in my way, I see it, it's emotional and moving. So that's why I'm saying that. I'll test that with it. I'll do a freeze. Um, you know, you, you also have to kind of look that we've, we've got masculine and feminine 100%. within us. So in that respect, you know, there's that too. No, and I was just going to say, and in our um, 
Aboriginal law here with the Rajri people, they talk about a matriarchal, it's not matriarchal, it's matristic law. And matristic law, if you look at any of our dreaming stories, we always have the component of the female and the male, and at the end they always come together. So, of course, we've got to have that, right? That's the way it works. Oh, I look at um, the, 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 the water molecule. It's really simple. There's two hydrogen and one big oxygen. The two hydrogen are feminine in the mode of levity. The big oxygen is masculine in the mode of gravity. Together they create balance and they allow water, physical water, to be even on this planet. So they're in such beautiful harmony with each other. So, you know, I I think it's – but I know what you mean. There's a beautiful feminine um, weave coming through, and it has to. I mean, you know, the masculine and the feminine work together in such harmony – but yeah. the, the feminines uh, got a new weave going on and yeah. a new tributary that's taking it, us all through to source. And that flows through men, it flows through women, and it's flowing through our world. And I think it's incredibly beautiful to watch. And I think that there's a lot to look forward to. I wish we'd had time, actually, to talk about my egg album and studies um, because yeah. I think it's very relative to one of the th- some of the things you 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 do uh i can show you really quick rather than explain it i can yeah, show it sure. yeah i'm worried about your time so yeah um well i will was and maybe we bit. need to do another podcast as well maybe there's just another egg okay so i've discovered in healthy free range eggs that oh, there are God. six uh six specific patterns that occur now, what's interesting in um, in caged hen eggs, there are only two of these that form, and the two most rudimentary are these two, the small star and the pollen that I call them. I've seen these in, in different types of eggs, uh, quail, duck, chicken, um, and wow. geese. But I'm very curious to see if I used another species, if I would see consistent patterns that look different, in which case I think that's yeah. extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been healing by proximity, I've observed. So this is the difference between a, a free-range, fresh egg and um, a caged hen egg. So you can see formatively extremely different. So yeah. I was curious because I've seen that tap water next to spring water left overnight the tap water improves, but even the spring water improves. Okay. It's like spring water's got purpose to help inform yep. the tap water. Oh, that's so yep. the spring water wasn't negatively impacted. So I thought, well, what if you leave a, a fresh, and it has to be fresh, the egg, anything biological, the longer it it's lasts and, and is left, the kind of structure starts to yes. change. Yeah. Um, but what if you put a fresh free-range egg and surround it by cage 10 eggs? Will it be impacted negatively or will it actually improve the structures of um, cage 10 eggs or will nothing happen? So I, I did that. So these are my controls um, from the batches. This is the beautiful um, free-range and this is the typical patterns of what I might see in a cage 10 egg. So I put it in this exact order and pattern and left them overnight. So what we're seeing is here's the free range egg. It has looks like I, it should, but these are all caged ten eggs around it. You can see that these have so much, so much more structure. So they're so different. They had all improved by proximity. The ones further away 
are less changed, less as um, uh, more. They're not so much like the yeah. uh, free range, but they're still improved. Still so there was a healing by proximity. So I've repeated it. Again, here are the controls, and here is the result. And you see there's a consistency here. It's very, very interesting. So what you kind of personal takeaway is that given by molecular count, we're 99% water. If we heal ourselves, we can heal others. It's one of the reasons we're so attracted to certain people and they have this energy. We're like, I just want to be around you. Um, even our cats and dogs, you know, they go and charge themselves up in the sunlight and come back in to give us a, a more of this kind of oh, energy. Yeah. You know, I, I just use that example because um, I'm teaching colon hydrotherapy and I've got some students, So, and I'd heard you talk about the egg, and it just fascinated me because when I'm teaching my therapist, I actually say to them um, that your water, we're working with the body of water. So when we put our hand on the person, even if you don't put a hand on the person, we have to create the space. So I'm all about creating the space. It's a healing space for them. But once we actually connect, you're actually connecting with the water. So you've got the impact. So I actually used your egg experiment to show them the importance of their impact and the importance of them feeling good, you know, like before they go in and, and work with clients. So, yeah. I think it's so, so good. One of the um, things when I had my wellness center is, I would put my hand on someone's heart for a long time. Um, and you can do this with any modality. And I would just kind of say to them, like, imagine right now um, that, or if you feel it, feel that that there is this ice in your heart. Oh. And I want you to feel the heat of my hand and feel that ice melting, feel it just starting to melt away and feel it starting that water that, that that starting to move through and down towards you know your stomach and imagine that all of this kind of trauma that you have that's held up in this ice which is just a stage of more of a solid and yeah. and just with the heat just with heat I said just with heat you can imagine that that is starting to melt. And people would always say consistently that when they went to the bathroom, they peed more than they could have ever even imagined. It's the longest pee they've ever had. And they're able to just see that, that this water is taking away this kind of uh, aspect there. So I used to like to use that. Um, and it's funny because I wasn't doing a lot of this now. So it just makes even more sense to me as to why I enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, my family are up and making food, so I'm. <laughs> We're ready. We're ready. We're done. So thank you so much, Fader. Like I have loved this. I've just loved it so so much. Um, I um, I'm sure we're going to stay in contact. I am doing your masterclass, and and I'm hoping to have you out here in Australia at the end of the year or in August for our conference. So um, I will get that. All that information is getting collated this month or, or this couple of weeks. So thank you so much. Thank you for your work. I so love it. I so hope people get just a tiny little bit out of it even and they can go and share that further. I encourage all you listeners, please go onto Veda's website. There's lots of good imagery on there for you to get your head around it more if it seems a little bit hard for you to understand it's really um, take away your science brain and your questioning brain. And when you're looking at these images, just come back in and feel it and see what your feeling body says. Because I just 
can't believe someone could look at all of this and not feel anything because it is such powerful work. It's so beautiful. So, Beta, thank you so much. Thank you for today. Listeners, thank you for listening today. I'll catch you on the other side. But remember, please feel the earth under your feet. Feel the sun on your face. Today, feel the water in your body and feel the love in your heart. And I'll see you next time, listeners. Thank you. Before we go, if you want more information on radical consciousness and cleansing, head to our website, bottomsupcolonics.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe or follow, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast as this will help others find us and also let you know when the next episode is published. You can also connect with us on our socials, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Bottoms Up Colonics. Until next time, I'm Susie Wilson. Thanks for listening to Radical Consciousness and Cleansing.